Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. I don't like cold weather. I like warm weather. But I do like this kind of cold weather because it does one thing. It reminds me of the best holiday in the universe that is coming. And if you say Christmas, you're watching too many Hallmark movies and you're wrong. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. How many of you? Okay, we're going to do a poll real quick. Nothing to do spiritually here, but uh, it, between Christmas and Thanksgiving, how many of you are your Christmas fans over Thanksgiving? Okay, all the women. Uh, they're like, we got to bake. Um, hey, men can bake too. Uh, how many of you, it's Thanksgiving? If, oh man, praise the Lord. That's my people. You're my family out there. I love, absolutely love Thanksgiving. We went to Tuttle's Orchard yesterday, uh, me and the fam. And uh, we went out and picked some um, apples and spent more for them because we had to pick them than if we went to a grocery store and had someone pick them for us. <laughs> I don't understand that. But it was great. We had a great time. In fact, uh, I love central Indiana. I'm starting to feel like more and more. I don't know if you'll, you'll accept me into Hoosierdom. But I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit more like a Hoosier. I almost considered changing football teams yesterday, uh, but I didn't. Um, so, yeah, I know. It was still, the Lord's still working on me. Uh, we are in week number four of our sermon series, Expand. And uh, I'm excited about this week. I always get excited when I get a chance to preach. But I'm really excited this morning because of of. The passage, we've, I don't know if you've noticed, but throughout the four weeks, we've been going through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul has been talking about generous giving and expanding the kingdom of God through our generosity. And we've talked about enthusiastic giving. We've talked about uh, generous giving. Uh, we even talked last week, Pastor Mark uh, brought the message and, and talked about Haville and how if we can raise $10,000 for the generosity challenge, uh, there's a grant that will match that 10000 for a church plant that's down in Haville, which is over 95% uh, in the poverty range where 95% of America has uh, more than this city. That's really near to us. Uh, and so uh, I hope that you will continue to do that. If you want more information about the generosity challenge, see someone at Connect at the end of the service, and they can tell you all about it, how you can get involved. I do know there was a little bit of confusion on, are we allowed to write a check? Pastor Mark said, don't just write a check. Don't just put something in the offering plate. You can write a check, but it's a check for what you've raised through giving something up throughout the week. Sunday is the deadline, next Sunday. So make sure that you get all of those donations in beforehand. But we've been moving throughout this series in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And then Paul crescendos it at the end, talking about this gift that the church at Corinth was giving to the church at Jerusalem. Give you a little bit of background. The church at Corinth, messy church. Uh, a, a brand new church plant with a lot of messy people. Paul, even at one time, was really disappointed in the church in Corinth and wrote them a letter of rebuke saying, hey, you need to get right and stop acting all selfish. And, uh, and they responded to the rebuke. And, and, and as a result of that response to the rebuke and going, okay, we're going to do better. We're going we're gonna to live for things that are eternal. They got this gift together and are giving it to the church in Jerusalem. And Paul has spent the last two chapters talking about how excited he is for the church at Corinth and excited about what God is doing in that church. And he ends the passage by talking about something that brings it all together. Gospel-centered 
giving. And only a pastor could be excited about a title like that. Like gospel-centered giving, you know. But I, when, as I studied through this passage this week, I really, honestly, I'm, I'm super excited to bring this message to you. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 11 is where we'll start. And we'll finish out the passage, remind you that this is Paul writing a letter to this church in Corinth. And he says this, he says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry or as a result of this gift, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Or maybe in your Bible it says the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number 14, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. So Paul here is crescendoing the last bit of this talk that he's been giving the church in Corinth and how excited he is that they are giving this gift to the church at Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I love crescendos. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like the, it's like at the end, like a good song always has a really good crescendo. Or like at the, uh, if you're watching a movie, the best type of movies are the movies that at the end, it just, it's been building, whether it's like a mystery where you're not sure how it's going to end, and then it's a twist at the end, and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Is anyone else like that? Okay. You like a good ending. Everyone likes a good ending. No one likes a boring ending. You ever watched a movie where at the end, they just, you're like, what? That's the end of the movie? What? We don't, know, we, don't, we don't know what happened? Like I watched a movie with, like, it was a shark movie. I can't remember the name of it. This was years ago. I fell asleep in the theater because it was so boring. Then I woke up half, halfway through, and they finished it. And we don't know if they died of getting babied by sharks or if they lived. It just ends the movie. Like, there's sharks surrounding them, and then they just move on. That is the worst type of movie Ever. If you like those type of movies, you need, at the end, we'll have an invitation. You can get right with God. I mean, it's going to be, we can have revival. I hate movies that don't have a good crescendo. I hate songs that don't have a good crescendo. I love listening to worship music that has, that, has a little bit of a buildup. It could be theologically unsound. The worst, I'm joking. <laughs> I love a good buildup. I love a good crescendo. I mean, any, we got any 90s childs in here? I'm a 90s kid. Yeah, 90s kid. I love like a good Matchbox 20 song. I'm probably not allowed to say that. But I love because it's a good crescendo at the end. I love great endings. And Paul here is ending this passage by pulling everything together and everything that's being talked about. And he basically does a mic drop. And I love it. And we're going to get through this. Three points. I come from a Baptist background, so I got to do three points. And uh, the first two, if, if you don't listen to them. It's all good. Just wait to the third point and the crescendo of the third point. I'm super excited about it this morning. Okay? So Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he's basically saying this. If we go back to that word good news or gospel, he's saying your gift must be centered around the gospel or centered around the good news. The best way I can explain the gospel is this, kind of the, uh, the original meaning in the Greek 
from Eugalion. I wrote, actually wrote the wrong spelling so I pronounce it right. Eugalion, it means this, is to talk about the acquisition of power or the proclamation of a new leader. If you're a Jesus follower in here this morning, you no longer rule yourself. You are no longer your own king. You don't answer to anyone except for the King of Kings, which is Jesus Christ. The good news in your life is you don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to temptation. You don't have to be a slave to your past, no matter what you've done. You, you'll hear the worship team say it a million times. You'll hear us pastors say it a million times when we do in our announcements or, or whatever we're doing. We say, I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've come from because when you have a new king and that king is Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who your old master was. You have a new king and a new life in Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. And Paul says, if we're going to be givers in the right way, it needs to be gospel-centered giving. In other words, the gift needs to be centered around the fact that we have and we serve somebody that's greater than anything we've ever done and greater than ourselves and greater than anything on earth. We serve Jesus Christ. Can I take you back for a moment as we set up this message? Can I take you back for a moment? to the time that you didn't have hope. Especially those of you that maybe met Jesus later on in life, take you back to a time that you didn't know Jesus Christ. The hopelessness that you had. The non-worth to living your life. What's it all for? Money, won't make life worth living. In fact, if we can get real for just a moment, statistics show that the more money you have, the more likely you are to commit suicide. Because money is not going to make you happy. Money is not going to give you purpose. A bigger house, a better car, a better job, a bigger career, although good things if they are not gospel-centered, will never bring you joy and will never get you to a point where you say, my life has purpose now because of everything that I've accumulated. And how easy it is, whether you're a Jesus follower or not a Jesus follower, how easy it is to get wrapped in all that. Whether you're a pastor, myself, whatever, however long you've been in church, 20 years, 30 years, five minutes. A, a, a thing that, we struggle with is having an eternal perspective. And Paul is saying here, hey, listen, there's a gift that you've given the church at Jerusalem, and I'm excited for those gifts. In fact, we're going to look at point one right now. He says there's a couple results of gospel-centered giving and giving, and one of them, the first thing is needs are met. Needs are met. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 12, it says this. I'm going to try to get my Bible open. Boom, I did it. It says this. Yes, you will be enriched. In, oh, that's verse 11. Just kidding. So two things. So two good things. All right, let's start over. Yep. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 12. This is going to change your life. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. 
needs will be met. This is something, by the way, that whether you follow Jesus, whether you're a Christian or you go to church or, 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 or don't, no matter what, you can all agree that when we give, we get joy. Needs are met. Uh, my daughter uh, had a big need before her birthday that she like, let me know that she had. Uh, it was a really, really big need. She needed to get a Nintendo, that new a Switch, the Nintendo Switch. It was a big need in her life. And so uh, she is uh, blessed to have awesome parents. Wow. Okay. <laughs> she's blessed to have awesome parents who, who tried to meet that need. And so uh, she's the only child, so she kind of gets, you know, a lot of spoiling and, and, and so forth. So we, uh, 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 her father went out to the mall because Denise is the more sensible uh, one with the finances. And uh, I said, well, she's our only child. And plus, she's a girl. And I can't, I can't say no. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, and she knows that. Um, and so uh, we got her a Nintendo Switch. And I loved seeing the joy on her face on, on her birthday when she opened it up. And, man, she got this thing that she really, really wanted. And uh, it was great. Need, her, need, her need was met. You know, when we give to a cause, give to a charity, we give to someone that's in need, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to give to someone that's in need. But point number one is the least of the most important points. And Paul leads with it. He says, hey, one of the results that's going to happen is needs are going to be met. But he's about to crescendo. He's about to move the message along and talk about, hey, if all you do is stop at meeting needs, you're not actually getting the job done. So I've met a bunch of Jesus followers and seen a bunch of Jesus, or non-Jesus followers that are in the world that don't ascribe to Christianity, don't ascribe to Jesus, that are very giving people. They've given a whole lot more than I could possibly give. They give to charities, they give to good causes, and they're looking for needs and looking across their own property and their own needs and actually giving to great and awesome causes and needs. And you know what? It's great. It's awesome that we can meet needs in the world. Uh, when Pastor Mark and the team uh, are over in Ecuador, I'm sure they're going to meet some needs of the people in Ecuador. And that's one of the results of giving and gospel-centered giving. But it's a common denominator with every other type of giving. So what separates gospel-centered giving and just giving towards a need? Number one, needs are met. But number two is this. Others glorify God. Others glorify God. Because Paul continues in verse number 12 after he says the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. He says this, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. I love when it says joyfully express their thanks to God because it's, it, it's this notation that it's going to be verbal. They're going to joyfully express their thanks to God. This gift is not just going to cause people's needs to be met, but the church in Jerusalem are also going to say, man, thank you, God, for this gift. It's all because of you. He continues right after that in the next verse in 13 and says, As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news 
of Jesus Christ. See, normally this is how we give. Normal humanistic giving, the motivation is either guilt or it's pride. I say, oh, Pastor Matt, no, 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 not me. I don't give out of guilt or pride. Okay, have you ever gone to a baby shower? Have you ever bought your daughter a gift? One of the reasons why I'm a Thanksgiving fan over a Christmas fan is because when someone on December 21st decides to get me a gift, I'm like, oh, man, no, i got to get you a gift. You weren't on my list. Or you get the Christmas card from that person in church, and you're like, oh. And you text your wife, hey, make sure that you add so-and-so to our Christmas card list. We're either giving out of guilt Oh, I better give because I, or man, I haven't given to a good cause. Here's another one, right? You walk by the Girl Scout. Please, sir, would you like to buy a cookie? Sad eyes. Guilt. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be right back. I don't have cash on me, but I'll, uh, hopefully you won't see me as I slip by. Well, Girl Scout cookies, those I give out of pride. Even with our own family and our children, one of the reasons why we almost didn't get the gift that we got this last birthday is because I was worried about next year because I got to outdo next year. Pride. And the offering bucket passes. Do we give out of guilt? Oh, what if someone sees me not? Do we give out of pride? God's blessed me. Hashtag blessed. Our normal motivation for giving is usually guilt or it's pride. But gospel-centered giving completely changes all of that. You see, the church at Corinth was giving this gift not because they were guilty. They were not giving out of guilt. They weren't giving out of pride. They didn't know that there was going to be a passage of Scripture that was going to be read to believers all over the world. They gave because something happened inside of them. They realized that the good news was Jesus Christ is the king. And if we can spread that message as best as we can, whether it be to Jerusalem, whether it be to the Macedonian churches all over the known world, we want people to know who Jesus is. Can I ask us this morning, church, what is our motivation for being generous? Are we a generous church because of the guilt that we feel? Because, man, God's blessed us. And we know the verse that says to whom much is given, much is required. I better give. Or if I don't give 10% of my tithe, is God going to bless my life? We give out of pride. Because we want people to know how much we give. Or do we give because we want Jesus' name to be known throughout the world. You see, the reason Paul was so fired up and the reason why Paul was so excited, in fact, the word enthusiastic is used throughout 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He was enthusiastic, not because it was a big gift. The amount of the gift was never mentioned. In fact, mostly throughout the passage of the gospel of the New Testament, when they mention a gift, 
they hardly ever mention the amount of a gift except for the parable about the woman with two mites. And the reason what was that was because it was such a small gift. God wanted to say, it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the motivation behind the gift. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need my money to, for his work to go on. What he wants is your motivation to see his name glorified. Who are we to think that God needs us? He created you. He created the seat you're sitting in. He created the world that we enjoy, the world that we love. He created the job that you have. But what we do is we become possessors instead of stewards. Thank you, God, for this possession, and then we possess it. And then we decide with that possession what we're going to do. I have a Hershey's chocolate bar. If you're not sitting on the front row, you're already out of the game. It's not happening. But uh, Andrew, if I were to give you this Hershey's, oh, you know, I'm not picking you. You'll, you'll mess with me. Um, I know, Andrew. Oh, there's no one on the front row. Oh, my goodness. No, did you promise not to mess with me? Okay. All right. I did this like several weeks ago. I did, a, I did an illustration. I told the kid exactly what to do, and he literally did the opposite on purpose. And it was one of the, my worst moments. It was horrible. So if I say, Andrew, I need you to hold on to this for me. Will you hold on to me? Okay. And when I'm hungry, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for it. You know what? I'm feeling a little hungry. You going to give it back? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. See, everyone give Andrew a hand. This illustration is going to work beautifully. It, it was a gospel-centered giver right there. He was thinking about Jesus and, uh, and how people need him uh, as he gave me this Hershey's milk chocolate bar. When I gave that to Andrew, Andrew gave it back because he wasn't really the owner. I gave it to him in expectation that he was going to give it back. It starts with a 10% tithe. But really, all of everything that we have does not belong to us. It belongs to God. God has given it to us in stewardship for us to be good stewards. But a steward takes the investment that God gave or the thing that God gave and invests it for the future. A steward invests. So when God gives you the blessing of a good job, a good car, a good house, those are not bad things. No one should be feeling guilty for having a lot of possessions. But with those possessions, are you investing them in for the kingdom? Some of you have some awesome houses. You need to be a small group host. I could never do it. Are you going to use that house for God? He gave it to you, not for you to own, but for you to be a good steward of that house. So that his name could be made great. Man, I'm getting some dirty looks. And my personality, Pastor Mark likes dirty looks. It like motivates him to preach longer. Like me, you're making me like, I'm like, oh man. No, that's the reason for what God has given us. By the way, Pastor Mark doesn't like you. He's the same. Our motivation for Giving should not be for others, but it should be for others to glorify God. So 
woman, her name was Sarah Winchester. Anyone know the Winchester house? And about the, I think it's in San Jose somewhere. Anyone ever been there? I've never been there. You got one, two? Okay, been there. Sarah Winchester in the 1800s, early 1800s, her husband passed away, and she inherited all of the money from the Winchester Rifle Company. She went and saw a medium or a, a fortune teller after her husband had passed away. And when her husband passed away, she sees this medium. The medium tells her that she was going to be haunted by all the ghosts of everyone that had been killed by a Winchester rifle unless she moved out west and built a house and continued to build that house. And once she stopped building that house, she was going to be haunted by these ghosts. So she moves out west with a residual income of $1,000 a day. Anyone can, could you survive on that? Okay, great. Well, $1,000 a day in the early 1800s is like $25,000 a day. How many of you who couldn't survive, some of you didn't raise your hand, uh, could survive on $25,000 a day? Awesome, very good. Good to see those hands. $25,000 a day. So she goes to work as soon as she gets to San Jose and starts building this house. Go ahead and put the picture of the house up there. This is the house that she, that she finalized, okay, uh, at some areas that's seven stories high, seven stories high. She had workers building on this house for 24 hours a day. She was so scared that if she stopped building, the ghosts of everyone that had, uh, had been killed by a Winchester rifle were going to haunt her, so she continued to build the house. Now, the thing is, she didn't have an architect because she didn't really care about having an architect because the goal of the house and the purpose of the house was only to be there so that she wouldn't be haunted by these ghosts. That was her motivation. Her motivation wasn't to build a beautiful house so that all of you could look at me, man, that's an awesome house. She didn't care about you. She didn't care about the people that go and visit it. All she cared about was not being haunted by ghosts. So she just continued to build. So here's some of the pictures. Uh, We'll keep it on that one right there. Anyone read that? It says door to nowhere. She had no rhyme or reason. She just had had the, the builders just build. Build a door. Build a story. Build another room. Go ahead, show another picture. There's one of the staircases. Isn't that incredible? Go to the next one. Look at that. Stairway to nowhere. It just goes right up into the, boom, and it's done. If we give with the motivation of shame or guilt or pride, it's like building the house with the wrong purpose. And someone may be at the end of your life, look at the house of your giving and go, wow, what a great giver with doors that lead nowhere. With purpose that amounts to nothing. You can feed a starving child across seas and meet a need, but if that need does not lead them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it is a door that may look really ornate, but it leads to nowhere. I hope I don't stomp any toes here. The truth of the matter is we have a food pantry that does a really good job at feeding people. But if that food pantry, the motivation for us having a food pantry is so that we can feel really good and have pride or out of guilt of, oh, we need to feed people because we're blessed, 
then it will be a food pantry with a door that leads nowhere. We have a student ministry that's a really awesome student ministry. We can build it. We say, man, we, want, we love students. We want to have positive things for them to do. We don't want them to do bad things, so let's have a positive environment. Without the gospel being preached and Jesus being magnified in that student ministry, then it is a student ministry with a door that leads nowhere. If we have a church and we make a call, let's give. Let's do something great for God and we build a bigger building. We have a great facility and people come to see the facility. Man, what an awesome facility. But it doesn't magnify Jesus Christ and give glory to God. Then it is a church that leads to nowhere. Your life, your family, your job, your finances. It is not gospel-centered. Pastor, are you really talking like every decision? Yes, every decision that you make. Every single one. Yeah, I'm, I'm being that bold about it. If it doesn't lead down the path of God getting glory, then it can look really awesome and attract a lot of people but it will be a door that leads nowhere. At least at point number three, which really is flows from point number two. It points to God's greatest gift. I you to throw up the last two verses. I'm going to ask you, I know we're starting to end landing the plane, please don't miss this last part because this is why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It ends with this. He says, and they will pray for you with deep affection. Why? Say it with me, church. Because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. gave you a gift. Paul wasn't excited about the gift, the monetary gift from Corinth to the church at Jerusalem. That's not what pumped him up. He didn't go, oh man, this is a big gift. This is going to really help. He says, let me tell you about a gift too wonderful for words. Corinth, you're not giving this gift to meet the needs of the people in Jerusalem, that's a byproduct. Your motivation is to glorify God and what that should do is lead us to the greatest gift that God gave. Say, a picture is worth a thousand words. Take your actions and a thousand times that a thousand. Paul says it's not about the amount of the gift. Don't go around. Can, can, we, can we all do us a favor, ourselves a favor, and not go around and tell people about Jesus? Would you live Jesus? Enough talk, church. 
enough playing the game of Christianity. Enough, I want to meet other people's needs. How about, I want people to know about the grace of Jesus Christ. If if you had the cure for cancer and you went around telling people and meeting the need of them needing a, a meal, hey, let me meet that need. Oh, you're cold, let me give you a coat. But we had the cure for what was going to end their life. This is the wonderful grace of God is the gift that we need to give. A gift so wonderful. I can't use words to explain it. I can't use words. Paul doesn't even try to do it. He says, this gift is going to represent the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.